and welcome to Rap Party with Prime Video. I'm Rihanna Dillon and opposite me is my very glamorous nerd in residence, Michael Leader. Oh, Rihanna, I've never been called glamorous before. I think you're glamorous. Oh, thank you. That means so much. Well, you call me a nerd in residence. What's been so great about this series so far is talking to people behind the scenes, yeah. being able to talk at length with the actual people that do all the real work yeah, behind they, the TV. And... They don't normally get a spotlight sort of shone on them apart from maybe once a year if they're nominated for an award. And so the fact that we're getting to sit down with them off award season is great. And you call me nerd in residence, I know you're a nerd yourself, <laughs> but this week is a fascinating week for me because not only are we shining a light on a craft, mm-hmm. we're actually along the way clearing up some misapprehensions about what even happens behind the writing of TV series. Yes, I mean, writing covers all manner of sins and we are basically debunking a lot of myths when it comes to writing because this week we are talking to a story editor. So, Rihanna, as you just said, writing is such a broad church, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, usually I ask you what you think about the specific role we're talking about today, but let's have a broader question. How do you think TV is written? I think, well, when I think about British TV being written, I often think of one sad, lonely writer alone in a room crying over their typewriter. (laughs) I go back a bit. Um, And because that's sort of how writers always seem to be represented on TV and in film when they're British. And it's always quite cold and, you know, they can't afford the heating and all that kind of stuff. Whereas if I think American writers, I think writing rooms Mm. and I think loads of empty coffee cups scattering the table and people jumping up with ideas and shouting them and then having those eureka moments and scrawling all over the walls. So, I mean, I'm going into very stereotypical camps here, (laughs) but that is immediately what springs to mind when I think about writing for TV. Well, there really are transatlantic stereotypes at play here, aren't there? When you think of British TV, they're shorter series, they're single creators who also write everything themselves, maybe they even star in them. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like Spaced, for example. Like There's a scene in Space where Daisy is just hammering the keyboard with her hands and it just feels like that is the most British way of writing ever. She does it for like three seconds and she's exhausted. (laughs) So yeah, that's exactly what it is. I do wonder if the process of writing that scene for Jessica Hines was like that, was hammering alone. Because of course she wrote it with Simon (laughs) Pegg, right? So maybe it was a bit more collegiate. I think of series, recent series like Fleabag, where there's that Mm -hmm. key creative voice behind it. Or even Catastrophe, where the two leads are both writing behind the scenes and giving their voices on the page as well as on screen. However, in the States, it's a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. Longer series. Oh, yeah, really long compared to British series. And so many credited writers, Mm -hmm. not only in terms of writers per episode, but then you have all these other editorial department names Mm -hmm. filling out this writer's room. You mentioned you have this picture in your head. I always go to The Simpsons. Okay. The first show I really loved, the the show I still quote whenever (laughs) given the opportunity nowadays. I think about Conan O'Brien, of course, now world famous talk show host, started out as a comedy writer. He was Mm -hmm. one of the writers on The Simpsons and he would share so many Memories, but also photographs of this room where there'd be a board in the corner with ideas and jokes thrown up on their empty Chinese takeaway cartons. (laughs) And he'd talk about, they'd just throw around ideas for hours and hours on end. Mm -hmm. 
making each other laugh before even thinking about how to write a script. It's a much longer process, perhaps, than just sitting at your typewriter, starting at the first line and Mm -hmm. and continuing. Mm -hmm. But since we're talking to an American writer today, we do have to tackle some of these transatlantic differences. So for TV in the States, you might have the creator, Mm -hmm. who at the end of the opening credits you have joss whedon creator of buffy the vampire slayer and angel or you may think of jj abrams stealing all the limelight as one of the creators of <laughs> lost when really a lot of the creative guiding light in mm-hmm. terms of script level episode level would be a showrunner's job damon lindelof was a showrunner for most of lost yeah of course then he would write some episodes himself or he'd at least guide the creative process with the other writers in the room and then actually he would then later in his career graduate to becoming creator in his own right. Yeah, Leftovers, which is incredible. Watchmen, you know, this year. Sprawling and like delving into fantasy mixed along with weird realism. He's got a really interesting eye. And that seems to be a story that you hear about lots of writers' rooms, that it is almost a vocation, that you work your way up the hierarchy yeah. from one of the lowly writers up the way to showrunner, maybe one day you'll be creator yourself. I'll go back to The Simpsons for a second. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the real breakout stars of that, you know, maybe 20 years down the line, is Greg Daniels. <gasps> I love Greg Daniels. Who would then work on the American version of The Office mm-hmm. and co-create Parks and Recreation. I love that those were very sort of specific and office-based, as you say. And then I love when he tries his hand at a bit of sci-fi. He went on to do Upload, which I absolutely fell in love with because it was almost a little bit Black Mirror-y, but mm. without playing too heavily on the really dark side. I think Upload was him trying to get out of the mould of mm. Parks and Rec and The Office and right. those quite small, insular, work-based shows whereas upload was visually really exciting delves a lot into modern technology and science fiction so i think it's really exciting watching his particular path i'd forgotten that he'd come from the simpsons i know yeah what a what a career right and so this is all context for our guest today. This is Stacey Osei-Kafour, who is not only a great writer in her own right, she is a couple of rungs up the ladder as a story editor. Mm -hmm. That's not like a script editor or a script consultant as we'd have in the UK. That's somebody who would be maybe having editorial oversight for your Rob Delaney's you know, mm-hmm. who are slaving away at their typewriters you know, <laughs> suggesting structural tweaks or keeping an eye on character developments and so on Stacy would be in the room maybe have a little bit more responsibility a little bit more pull a little bit more say than you know, other people but is very much in the mix So Stacy worked on Watchmen with Damon Lindelof which is this genre defying series about a group of vigilantes who team up against the rise of racism with a multitude of sci-fi elements coming into play as well and it stars Regina King who I absolutely am obsessed with and Don Johnson and Jeremy Irons being the ultimate evil guy. It's an incredible series, I can't wait to talk to her about that. Well, and, and I would lose my Nerd in Residence uh, badge if I don't jump in and say Watchmen's adapted from the landmark graphic novel by Alan Moore and yes. Dave Gibbons from the 1980s, although busts beyond the Way boundaries beyond. of that. It's quite yes. a radical adaptation, isn't it? it? Is. Stacey also worked on Hunters, the series that came out earlier this year, which stars Logan Lerman and the great Al Pacino. I know, this is such a fun series as yeah, well. It's about Nazi hunters in 1970s New York. And then like, just to have a complete 180, she's worked on Run, which was a concept by Phoebe Waller-Bridge of Fleabag, about two ex-lovers who decide one day to leave their 
lives and run back towards each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just vastly different, all of the things that she's been a writer on. And she has really exciting things coming up as well. She's one of the writers behind the adaptation of the Naomi Alderman novel, The Power, that's um, coming out soon. My mate, Claire Wilson, wrote on that and she co-wrote Rocks. Ah, uh, right. So incredible. I love that they're working together, both powerhouses, female writers, mm. love it. And Stacey, of course, is also a playwright. She's written all sorts. Really, no one better to talk to about writing for screen. Well, then let's hear it from the woman herself. This is Stacey Osei Kufour. So, Stacey, this is a transatlantic conversation we're having now. One of the big confusions around how TV shows are written exists within that transatlantic divide. The cliche, of course, is that UK series have these key creatives, let's say Catastrophe, where it's all written by Sharon Horgan, Rob Delaney, and we have this presumption that American writers' rooms have this more collaborative experience. So I was hoping we could maybe demystify this process a little bit and you can help us along the way. So could you tell us, what does a script editor do and how does this all fit into a production? A script editor in America is a step up from a staff writer. So a staff writer is someone who pitches in the room with everyone else, but they don't have as many responsibilities as a story editor. So after story editor, there's an executive story editor. And then from there, there's a co-producer and then supervising producer and then producer and then executive producer and then showrunner. And each of those positions have different responsibilities, but the story editor isn't a position for when you go to shoot. It's just another person in the room pitching that has more responsibilities than the staff writer. So what are a couple of like those extra responsibilities that you might have above a staff writer? I think it depends on every room. I think for me, It was probably doing more research, writing on the board more, um, (laughs) and just doing little things here and there. But again, it's different for every room and different for every show. And it is very collaborative. It's everybody in the room pitching and trying to make the show as perfect as possible. So what's in place when you come on board? Is it like just a tiny seed, a germ of an idea? Or what's kind of been decided by the time that you're in the room? I think that depends on every show. I think Watchmen, Damon just had a pitch about what he wanted to do. He knew he wanted the show to be in Tulsa. And he knew that he wanted Hooded Justice to be a black man who disguises himself as a white man. I think for Hunters, David Weil had more figured out. He knew the characters. He knew where the season was going to go. But again, even when you have those things figured out, it changes. Sometimes someone will pitch something in the room that changes what the showrunner has already created. I think in terms of Watchmen, we were building a world together. And with Hunters, David kind of already had a world figured out that we were kind of building on. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of research that you did for Hunters? Because that is such an incredible world. It's really interesting. You're building on something that already existed, but you're adding a sort of entertainment factor to it. So what did your research look like? Well, I didn't do research for Hunters. There was someone in the room every day 
that was researching everything for us in terms of not only the Holocaust, but the camps and the Nazis that changed their names and tried to change their lives and go on and live in society and have people not know there was someone doing all of that work for us so that we were able to have that information and and pitch on it in the room. That sounds really like you were just able to focus on the characters and the story. Is that quite rare? Is that a treat to be able to do that, to have such a specific role? Yeah, I think working in TV in general is a luxury. So yeah, having a researcher on site that we would be able to ask questions and figure out the world of the show and and this time is definitely a luxury, yeah. And how does the writing process differ on a series? So we have Hunters and Watchmen, which are quite large casts. They're quite epic into their scope. They're period films as well. Whereas Run is pretty much situated around just a two-hander. How does that change the the tone of the room and the writing process? My experience on Run and Watchmen and Hunters was the same. It's a bunch of people in the room pitching, trying to make an exciting show and create twists and turns for the audience. I think with Watchmen, it was a longer process and there was more work to be done just because there was source material and we were continuing the Watchmen story and we also wanted to cater to the fans. So there was a lot of different sections that we kind of had to work out and study. I think for Run, it was about two people who used to be in love. And so though it wasn't as epic as Watchmen, it was still the same goal, which is to make a great show and to really surprise and excite the audience. I want to avoid any spoilers, really, just in case. But for something like Watchmen was just so rich and full and it had big reveal. There was a hell of a lot going on. Is there, I was wondering, like a sort of formula to when you drop a cliffhanger or a reveal to sort of keep people watching? Do you have like certain notes across the series where you think this is a good time to reveal this or keep this secret? I think that with Watchmen, because it was Damon's show and Damon is known to be someone who enjoys mystery, I think we just leaned into that even more. And he loves the cliffhanger. He loves putting a character in there and making the audience think, will they ever come back? You know, in the series, a lot of people had a lot of speculations about who Lube Man was and if he was going to come back. And we tried to in the writer's room, but Damon was like, it's just fun. You know, it's exciting for the audience. And so he's just someone who does that naturally. And so that's why the show had so many cliffhangers and mysteries and twists and turns, because that's just who Damon is. And how detailed do you get in a script? Because, you know, different directors like different things. It works differently on films, on series. Some people write for the edit very clearly and very concisely about exactly what they want to see on screen. How does it work for you in a room? What are you actually putting on the page in terms of direction and detail? Well, that's a tricky question. We're not writing in the room per se. I think Watchmen was a room where we did have to figure out the dialogue and everything together. Most rooms 
don't do that. You just pitch for the episode. You put those ideas on the board and those ideas make it to an outline. And then from that outline, you write the script. I think for me, in terms of how detailed I am in a script, I'm pretty detailed, I guess. (laughs) I focus more on the character and the setting and the dialogue rather than shooting notes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But maybe that is, again, a different thing in the UK than in the US. And could you give us a sense of what is being pitched when we're talking about a writer coming up with an idea? So is there an episode structure in place and they're saying, this character could do this, this subplot, this scene, what's being pitched? Pitching is just saying an idea. So basically a pitch is like, I think Angela should start her car and as she's driving off, it explodes. <laughs> That's a pitch, you know? Okay, yeah. and so, <laughs> so there are times when someone will pitch something like that And the whole room will react and erupt. And I think most people know at that point, your pitch is going in or it's a brilliant pitch. Damon, also his room was the first room where people were like, what's the pitch? Pitch was always the word being tossed around in a very muscular way. I think like Pen15 was way more relaxed in terms of putting ideas out into the ether But I think because Damon's rooms are so rigorous and require so much work, the main goal is what's the best pitch. And that's most rooms, actually. Just to talk about briefly the, you know, like if you're um, in the room, you're talking about the board. Do you ever storyboard? Do you ever like do little pictures to try and like illustrate your point if you're pitching, if you're really sort of enthused about something? Or is it all just words? Yeah, it's all just words. I think towards the end of Watchmen, Damon started to bring in some pictures of like, what do you think of this Sister Night costume? Or what do you think of this for Ozymandias? And so we have those conversations. And that was really cool to be a part of. Because again, I I never had a showrunner before asking me what I thought of a character's costume and wanting my input on that. And so that was really amazing. But I think In terms of the board, it's just the ideas and kind of rough sketches of an episode. And then from there, those ideas are put onto the page as an outline. And then you go to write. In your experience, how much of writing is sort of raw talent and how much is a craft that is learned? And is there quality to be found in breaking rules or is it better to follow them? Um, I can only speak from my experience. I think... I started writing at a young age kind of to deal with my anxieties and certain depression that I had. And I think it was a way for me to truly express myself. And so I started writing very young. First, it was kind of weird plays. And then the plays morphed into poems. And then from poems, I started writing short stories. And then after that, I went back to plays. And then my husband saw how successful playwrights were in Los Angeles and mentioned to me, maybe you should move out to L.A. and and see how it would be as a playwright. And then I did. And after a year or so, I got my first show, which was Happy. And then after Happy, I got Watchmen. How is it for you? Because you come from theatre, where it's like every single word holds so much value when it's on the stage. And then going from that to 
TV. Is it a different discipline? Yeah, I think so. The reason why I feel I was embraced by the TV world probably more than the theater world at the time is because my plays were really out there. There were really big, wild things that I was working with. But also as a playwright, you don't have much. All you have sometimes are two chairs and like a black box. And so I think having those limitations actually makes your imagination go even bigger and wilder because that black box can be a boat. It can be a whale. It can be whatever you want it to be. And I think because I pushed myself with my playwriting is how I was seen as a TV writer. But I also think the reason why playwrights are being snatched up right now is that with plays, all you sometimes have is the dialogue because you do have to imagine these spaces. In TV, you can be in a cool car, you can be on the ocean, but in a theater, you can't be. And I think the TV world recognized that playwrights really have a knack for setting a scene or taking you someplace else just through the words. Would theatre still be your home stage? Maybe that's maybe the pun makes a terrible bit of wordplay. But would that be <laughs> still be the place where you'd rather your writing be or have you got the TV bug now? I think that my heart will probably always be with theatre. I love it so much. And as a little girl, my mom would take me to a lot of plays and ballet shows. But I think TV is amazing too. You get paid well. Um, (laughs) And I think sometimes playwriting can be a lonely business. All the ideas come from you and you have to figure out everything, whereas TV is much more collaborative. So I love both. But yeah, my heart will always be with (laughs) theatre. I was just going to use a very British saying, but if something like dies on its ass in the writer's room, that is to say, if something doesn't go down particularly well or people don't Mm -hmm. necessarily agree with that idea to go forward, Mm -hmm. how do you sort of communicate that where you're not shooting down somebody's idea? Well, first, you're sitting around a table with everyone. You can see their facial reactions. (laughs) And so you know when someone's into your pitch and when someone isn't. Mm -hmm. I think with Watchmen, Damon was different where he wanted everybody to get behind an idea And so you didn't really have the opportunity to hide. He would just say, hey, Stacey, what do you think of that pitch? Did you like it? And sometimes that's hard because the person who pitched it is your friend or is sitting right across from you or love the idea, but you just don't think it'll work for this particular episode. And so I think that was definitely difficult for me and something to get used to being put on the spot in that way. I think other shows that I've worked on, like Pen15 or Hunters or even Happy, was a little more relaxed and a little more chill (laughs) in terms of what things go on the board and what things go in the show. How long would you spend on this whole process before you say, okay, this is everything that's going into a script? For... Watchmen, we worked on the pilot for about nine months. So nothing was written until after we finished all that work. But Watchmen, again, was different because Damon didn't have a pilot. So we figured out everything in terms of the pilot, but also the world together as a group. And when you're doing something like that, it just takes longer. For something like Hunters, David already had 
his pilot. And so we were building the world off of something he had already created. The same thing for Run. I think even the pilot was shot. And so we were able to see it and understand what they wanted the show to feel and look like. So I think it depends on each show. Right. And so, excuse me to ask about credits, because, of course, there's staff jobs, as we just said, and then there is the written by credit per episode. And so at what point does the writer of the episode get decided on and come into play? It's, a again, a weird thing. Most of the time it is not figured out and you will find out in the room with mm. everyone else. That's how it was on Run and Watchmen. And that's why pitching is so important right. that sometimes when you're pitching in a room, you start to get a sense of which writer should be doing which episode just based on how they're pitching. It definitely happened in Hunters where there was a writer, I believe it was Mark, where he had so many cool pitches for the heist scene and sent us all these really cool videos about like the best heists and Mission Impossible. And it came to be clear that Mark should be doing that episode. But I think sometimes in other rooms, a showrunner will just say, hey, Stacy, you're doing episode three. And, you know, <laughs> That's the end of story. And so it just depends on the show and the showrunner. Does it ever get competitive then if you're vying for one particular pitch or scene that two people think they can do a really great job on? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, it's competitive. Everybody wants the best episode. There are certain people who will be great for an episode, but get a different episode. Or there are some people who have pitched more or more of their ideas are in one episode, but they have been assigned another. It's just how the cookie crumbles, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but at the same time, I think for me, even if I have a tinge of jealousy or, ooh, I really wanted that episode, I remind myself that it's a luxury that I'm even doing this at all. And so the fact that I'm in a room with Damon Lindelof or in a room with David Weil or mm -hmm. I've been able to meet Phoebe Waller-Bridge, like all of that is really cool. And to learn from them and to see the way they work, all of that is a gift. So whether or not I get an episode at this point isn't as important as those experiences. And talking about name dropping, like when people talk about the greatest <laughs> actors of all time, Al Pacino's mm -hmm. name inevitably comes up pretty much every single time. What's it like writing for Al Pacino? Well, I would say I was a part of Hunters before any of that was really decided. I did Watchmen and we kind of took a break. And during that break is when I did Hunters. And then once Watchmen was up again, I had to go back. And so I couldn't really see Hunters until its end result. But at that time, when I was in the room, there was a lot of talk of Al Pacino being a part of it. And of course, David was freaking out and was really hopeful <laughs> that Al Pacino would say yes. And obviously he did. And that was amazing. But I think when someone like that signs on, it's even more exciting because now you know you have an actor who will murder it and give you such an incredible performance and it was the same way with Regina King and Donald Gleason and so many 
great actors. I think you just pinch yourself and feel lucky to even be a part of it. I mean, I'm obsessed with Regina King. So it's just (laughs) like to hear her words coming out that you've written must be such a huge thrill. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) You said that when you worked on Run, that the pilot had already been shot. Presumably the actors had already been cast. So Mm -hmm. is it harder to write when you have specific actors in mind or is it harder when you don't, like on Hunters? I think it was easier for me to know who's playing what just Mm -hmm. because some of the actors, you know, Al Pacino, for example, these are people we've been watching since we were kids. And so you get to know their strengths. You get to know what they like to lend their voice to. And so that makes writing for that actor even more exciting for me personally. And you also know that you can push them to a limit because actors love, you know, to have a big emotional scene or have a really juicy monologue. So it's always enjoyable. And for me, it's much better and much easier to write when I know who's playing the role. I suppose action scenes aren't something you'd be writing on stage as much within the black box of theatre. Right, exactly. So what's that challenge like when you're doing that on TV? (laughs) Well, there's a show that I have worked on. Actually, it's called The Power. It's based on Naomi Alderman's book. Yeah. and Did um, you work with Claire Wilson on that? Yeah, I did. I love Claire. She's amazing. We're writing episodes nine and 10 together, which is really awesome. And so the power was an incredible room because I got to go do that in London and it was only two weeks and very different from obviously something like Watchmen that was two years. So we had to figure out all the season kind of together. But what was different in London than from what I experienced is you go off and you figure out all the dialogue and all of the action scenes on your own. And that is something that is very different than like a Damon Lindelof room. But I think for a show like The Power, it was great to write so many action scenes for young girls. And I've kind of had to get used to figuring out how to put certain action scenes on the page. And I think Claire Wilson is someone who's amazing at that. And I just binged Gangs of London where it's all action and really like grotesque, serious, violent action. So yeah, it's a great thing to write, but very tricky. I guess on the flip side of that, I was talking to an actor recently who likened having an intimacy coordinator to a stunt coordinator. So do you sort of apply those same sort of skills when you're writing a love scene or a sex scene where you know that it's almost going to have to be choreographed on screen? Yeah, I think I'm someone who enjoys pushing those limits. And I think, like, for instance, for The Power, I wrote scenes where characters were completely nude and they were doing this. And Mm -hmm. the producers were like, you know, you need to put in parentheses, like, what exactly will be shown, just so an actor knows that when they're reading it, that they don't necessarily have to be fully nude or have to be doing certain sexual things, that certain things can be suggested. And that was something I had to learn and and was very helpful for me. But I think, obviously, with corona, there's so much that's going to change with these sex scenes and romance scenes. And a lot more can be suggested. Maybe a character doesn't need to have 
a full-on makeout session to convey that they're in love or to convey <laughs> that they're having an affair. And so I think post-corona or even writing during this time, it's been very interesting writing sex scenes and figuring out how to suggest or to twist things in a certain way to make it so the actors don't necessarily have to touch. You mentioned earlier that it's such a privilege to be in the room with someone like Damon Lindelof and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. What, as a writer, are you taking from them in terms of inspiration when seeing them work, collaborating with them? I think what I've learned from all the people I've worked with is just to trust your voice. I think we're in a time now more than ever that being yourself is finally appreciated. And I think more people obviously should be in the TV writing business than there are obviously more women and more people of color. But I think what I've learned from all of these showrunners is just to trust in your ability and to trust in your ideas because sometimes you'll have a thought and you'll want to pitch it in the room and you'll think to yourself, no, it's stupid. Just forget it. I'm a loser. And then someone else will pitch that very same thing. And you'll be like, great, great. <laughs> that was, that was my idea that I should have just pitched. And now Damon or Phoebe or whoever loves it. And they don't know that that was actually from my brain and everyone thinks this way. But I think the main thing that I've learned is just to trust myself and it's okay to be bold and it's okay to be raunchy and creepy and <laughs> leave things unanswered. A lot of the television or the stories that I enjoy, they keep things open sometimes. And I think sometimes as writers, we're encouraged to answer everything. We're encouraged to close every book or to have a happy ending, but that's not really the way life is. And those are the stories and the characters that we enjoy more. And so I've really tried to lean into that. Just to go back to the sense of everybody's pitching things in, everyone is collaborating, there's this sort of shared DNA that goes into a piece of work. Of course, with some of the shows you worked on where you do end up with a written by credit, maybe we can see more of you in these final episodes but in something like hunters where i don't think you had an actual written by credit on an episode can we see a little bit of stacy in any of this what did you maybe contribute to that show yeah i think hunters was different because i was in the room a shorter amount of time and if i had been there longer i probably would have gotten an episode or you would have seen more of me in the show but i think i don't know if this is known but i'm just gonna say it that the black female cop character was originally, I don't believe she was a black woman when David conceived of the character. And I, I found that to be really fun and interesting that she was this black woman who was also a Catholic. And so we had a lot of conversations about her in the room and about black Catholics and what churches they went to and what was their background like and would it be believable? And it was amazing conversations. And I think that is probably the only or the main character I kind of leaned on the most in terms of trying to make her authentic and the fact that she was a black Catholic and it made the character super interesting and different. Am I right in thinking that you've acted yourself as well? 
Yeah. That must be like a real boon for you. Like if you're in the room, you sort of understand it from an actor's and a writer's perspective. So how does that help you when you're trying to get into the mind of what an actor has to do? It actually helps me a lot. I think that's what really helped me as a writer initially, because at first I was just writing plays for me to act in with my friends. And and that was great and fun. But it was during that process that I started to realize what is enjoyable for an actor, having mystery and emotion and violence and these sex scenes, like all of it is really enjoyable for an actor. And I think I'm someone who loves a pause. So in all my stuff, there's these dramatic pauses because I think as an actor, that's what I really enjoy. Um, And also being an actor helps you come up with the dialogue also because you know what is fun to say and you know what's going to bring about the emotion or or bring an actor to their knees or make them scream and delight. And I think like (laughs) all of that stuff I try to write to and I find really enjoyable. Something we're interested in asking our guests on this podcast is where they get influence from, where they bathe in inspiration. And sometimes it's not always necessarily a film or a TV series. You know, costume designers and production designers may go to photographic archives. And I wonder, as a writer, where do you go for good writing to be inspired? I think for me, I started reading horror novels at a young age, and I think I really love creepy novels or mystery novels and I read a lot and that's kind of where I I get my inspiration. I think also music really helps me. There will be times where I'm stuck on a scene or I can't figure out a character but like I'll play a song and it'll just bring about so many ideas. I think I also search for music. Maybe that specific character would be listening to in the scene. And I think that also helps me figure out the scene even more. Stephen King, who I'm a huge fan of, (laughs) always says to keep reading. And so I try to keep reading no matter what, if it's a novel or a short story or an article or a poem, even lyrics to a song, I just try to keep reading. Do you agree with Stephen King's mantra of 2,000 words on a page a day? I heard that recently. (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, good for him. (laughs) Well, you can tell from his books, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So many. I don't think I hit that a day. Could you recommend us a book if we wanted to follow up and get a dose of what you're reading? Oh, um, my favorite book of all time is The Known World. It's written by Edward P. Jones and... It's a fictional retelling of a a black slave owner and all of his slaves. And it just goes in thousands of different routes from the slave owner to one of the slaves to the daughters of the slave owner. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And I highly recommend it. I also, my other favorite book of all time is A Home at the End of the World by Michael Cunningham. And it's about these three friends who are in love with each other and they go to the mountains to like have a family. And of course it goes wrong. And it's just so, so good. 
So those are my number one go-tos. I love how, like, cultural this podcast is. We were recommending TV series, films, books now. This is great. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Amazing. So what we're doing is we're creating this big imaginary rap party, and you're invited, as well as all our other guests. And as you're coming along, we'd love to know if you could bring a plus one or if you could go and corner somebody by the drinks to have a chat with them. This could be a specific person or a role on the production. Who would you want to talk to? You know, I'm always fascinated by the boom operator, like the person who <laughs> has to hold that microphone for six hours just in that scene. Like, I've always wanted to not only, like, just thank them for their service, but just say, like, how do you do that? And I, it's actually, when you think about it, the sound is one of the most important parts of a film or a television show, you know, getting that right. So yeah, I'm always fascinated by the boom operator. I hope I that's the right person. That's the, per- that's the perfect answer. Let's be honest, you want to squeeze their <laughs> biceps, don't you? That's what it's really about. And even in these socially distanced productions, it's a boom time for boom operators, isn't it? <laughs> With the longest yeah. boom the possible. I mean, they do a lot of work. So I was going to say Oprah. Oprah can be a boom operator. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> She's done everything. She can do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she can. Stacey Osei-Kufour, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you, guys. At the wrap party. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you so much to Stacey for talking with us today. You know what? I really learned something in that chat. I really had so many preconceptions about what writers actually did on TV and she's busted all those myths for us. I know. I really loved hearing about all like the competitiveness in the writer's room because, you know, you hear so much. And of course, it is a collaboration. But I really like that honesty about actually sometimes it's a, it's tough. You want to get your work out there. You want to have your voice imprinted in this series. Like you said, there are so many bits of detail that Stacey probably just didn't, would never think of to talk about. But actually, that's the most fascinating stuff, isn't it, for us? And then if you're given one crumb of an opportunity to do a heist, <laughs> and you go to town on the research for that heist, right? <laughs> You absolutely would. Of course, every week we give you a reading list and a watching list if you'd like to keep up with us. On Prime Video, you can catch up with Hunters. And of course, The Power is also an Amazon Studios production, so we're very much looking forward to seeing that in the future. And then you can head to the show notes of this episode for links to more of Stacey's work, including Watchmen and Run and please go and watch Watchmen. And I was very happy to add a few more things to my Goodreads Want to Read list as well. We added links where you can buy The Known World and A House at the End of the World in the show notes too. And there's also a link to the audiobook for Stephen King's On Writing, where he talks about getting those 2,000 words on the page every day. You know, for me, that's probably the scariest thing he's ever written. Rap Party with Prime Video is a Little Dot Studios production for Prime Video. This show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It is produced by Annie Hughes, Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel, with additional research from Nicole Davis. Our original music is by Axel Cacoutier. We're edited by Content is Queen. And our artwork is by Sandra Boucher and Sam Mason. If you've enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the party.